0: Maayang Adlao. Welcome back to Philippine Exiton Wellness. In our last episode, we spoke with Sherry Young of the Artform Studio, who spoke to us about hair, beauty, and self-care. Catch it if you haven't yet. Our opening and closing track for Season 2 is Help Me by Richie. For this month's episode, in honor of Filipino American History Month, Philippine X in Wellness presents Spiritual Health and Wellness with Dr. Christine Katipon. I'm Cheryl Sampson-Ramirez. My preferred pronouns are she, her, sha. I'm ethnically Bisayan and Chinese, currently streaming from the traditional territories and still living Chumash, Tongba, and Keech people, colonially known as Los Angeles. Philippine X in Wellness's vision is to support the wellness of the Philippine X community through resource sharing, podcast streams, and partnerships with professionals and organizations in order to live healthier, happier, and more fulfilling lives. If you're not following us already, please feel free to follow us at Philippine X in Wellness with a P ending with an X in Wellness on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and on Twitter via the handle at X the letter N, the word well, followed by the letters N and S. We honor the safe space by asking everyone to speak and listen respectfully from your heart throughout our time together. This pre-recorded session can be accessed through our Philippine X and Wellness YouTube channel and on Apple Podcasts. As always, we'll be sure to answer any questions that you've sent us via our Instagram stories within our episodes. Please keep in mind that anything that is discussed is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to be medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare practitioner for your particular condition, especially before starting any exercise or new health program. Philippine X in Wellness was formed to provide a dialogue around topics that affect the wellness of our community. We're here to also highlight Philippine X individuals and organizations that are actively doing wellness work. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce Christine Katipon. Dr. Christine Katipon, who goes by she, they, sha, is a licensed clinical psychologist who has worked in university counseling centers in California for the past 12 years. She currently works full-time in counseling and psychological services at Stanford University and has a part-time private teletherapy practice. She is the current vice president for the Asian American Psychological Association and has held numerous leadership positions within the Philippine ex-American community. Dr. Katipon is a frequent speaker and panelist on Philippine ex American mental health. And she was most recently featured in the Los Angeles Times on PBS NewsHour and as a panelist at the 2022 San Diego Comic-Con. Her professional areas of interest include AAPI social justice, LGBTQ plus identity and intersectionality. In her spare time, she enjoys karaoke, mahjong, and other board games, playing with her dog, and being a foodie. I could totally relate. (laughs) We would like to welcome to Philippine X and Wellness for the first time, Dr. Christine Katipon. Hi. Thank you so much. (laughs) We're honored to have you on. Um, So thank you for being here.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me.
0: Now, something that we always start off with in our episodes is asking our guests, where is your family from in the Philippines through your parents' lineages? And where are you currently streaming from? In case that's different from where you're actually residing.
1: Got it. Well, it's such a Filipino (laughs) thing to ask, right? Where, what province is your family from? So My parents um, are both from the province of Cavite, and they met in the town of Ternate. Ternate is also where my two grandmothers um, are from, and my maternal grandfather is from Magalanes, Cavite, and my paternal grandfather is from San Pablo City, Cavite. Um, I'm streaming from Muwekma, Olone territory, aka the Bay Area. Where I reside and work with an awareness that my residing here is an unearned privilege afforded by unjust forced displacement and colonization.
0: Thank you, Christine, and thank you for honoring the um, the land too that you're streaming from. The title of our episode today is "Spiritual Healing and Wellness." What does spirituality mean to you? And this is such a big question. And how would you personally define it?
1: Yeah, um, you know, spirituality feels more like a a beingness, like a state of being for me. I was trying to look up definitions because it is so broad. And I think many times people tend to link spirituality and religion together, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, this The definition I found myself, Um, resonating with was uh, spirituality is the quality of being concerned with the human spirit or soul as opposed to material or physical things. And I love that because in my work as a clinical psychologist, I am connecting to soul. I am connecting to their spirit and helping them heal that part of them. Um, I do also have a degree, a master's in spiritual psychology, and one of the tenets of that program is healing is the application of loving to the parts inside that hurt. Uh, it's from the University of Santa Monica. So I would say that, you know, even though most psychologists and therapists are like the least spiritual or religious <laughs> of most careers out there, I find that it's been such a strength for me to, apply, you know, soulful things, not religious or structured kinds of approaches, but really finding ways to connect on a deeper level with my clients to help them heal at the deepest level. So I hope that answers the question, but yeah, it's, it's more of a sense of how I choose to live my life from a very soul centered place.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really unique approach when it comes to like um, therapy, psychotherapy. Because yeah. as you mentioned, it's often the one of the topics that's left out in the discussion within this field.
1: It really is. And that could be part of the reason why a lot of Philippinex folks are not really comfortable with therapy. It's like, where does, um, the Catholic part of Filipino end and where does the Filipino part begin? It's so intertwined, um, in our culture and to not regard it or not acknowledge that, um, our faith traditions as well as our cultural traditions are, you know, um, contributing to distress or, um, You know, or or struggles in how we understand ourselves in the world is such a grave injustice. And if a lot of therapists don't know how to talk about that, then we're really missing a key component, I think, especially when working with Philippinex folks.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you also defined it because as we know, when it comes to our community and our culture. There's various um, religions that ex- and beliefs wow. that exist within our our culture. I mean, Catholic mm-hmm. is a dominant religion in the Philippines, but there's also Christian denominations. Mm-hmm. There's also Muslim. There there's also you know um, many of our community that adopts to uh, spiritual beliefs. So I can imagine mm-hmm. that. Covering the array within your practice can also be um, something that's really diverse and um, yeah. a learning experience.
1: Yeah, and let's not forget our indigenous healers and exactly. traditions. Exactly. You know, my right. my maternal grandfather was kind of like the healer of our village, and my family knows so many ways that guava heals things. You know, um, so how how can we not acknowledge those pieces of it? And you know it's not that therapists have to be experts at every single thing that um, that our clients bring up in session. I think it's more about not teaching us per se, but informing us how that part of their culture or their faith tradition or their beliefs are impacting them positively or negatively and having that context to understand the big picture and, um, you know, how it's affecting the current presenting problem that they're coming into therapy for.
0: I agree. And, and, you know, I'm glad that you bring up also the Indigenous spiritual beliefs within this episode, and we open up with land acknowledgements along with being Filipino American History Month, this month also includes Indigenous People's Day. So it's it's very important that we also acknowledge that presence um, Mm -hmm. on, you know, in our motherland and um, in our history. So I wanted to actually open up with um, that I first came across your work when Ada Singh and Agnes Constante featured your work with Filipino-American patients in the Los Angeles Times, and that was um, in March of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question um, is going to actually include two community questions that tie into this. So thank you, Alian, um, in our Philippine uh, Exin and Wellness community on Instagram that also shared your questions. So the question that I had was, can you talk more about the cultural stigma attached to mental health and how might spirituality play a part in that? And then also um, to our audience, we have front-loaded um, Dr. Katipon and Christine with these questions. So the two questions that Alian had um, were, is it possible to integrate a religious and anti-colonial identity together and what are the ways we can heal forward with religious trauma from the church? So, um, mm-hmm. three questions in this segment. Um, feel free to take it away,
1: and feel free to prompt me again because for sure my brain I can revisit, not as young. Yeah. As used to be. <laughs> you got it. Okay. Well, for the first part, um, the stigma around mental health. You know, it's not unique to Filipinos, but. I think mental health is such a foreign concept for many people. And especially within our culture, we have a very all or nothing stance when it comes to feelings in the sense like we either don't talk about it or when we kind of, you know, build up the pressure like a, you know, instant pot or something, and then it just explodes. I've experienced this very much. So, you know, when my father passed away 20 years ago, you know, it was just like, nobody was talking about feelings. Nobody was really discussing anything. And then at the funeral, it was just an explosion of feelings that had been pent up for so long. So we do not talk about feelings on a regular basis, or at least that's not been my experience with my immigrant parents and their siblings. Um, our second generation is talking about it more, but not that much more. You know, I think it's only me because this is my profession. So it it's a, still a hard concept for people to wrap their heads around. But I do think that the pandemic changed all that. When the pandemic happened, people lost their coping strategies. People lost their social support. People were grieving losses. I know, you know, one of my best friends passed away from COVID before they were able to create the vaccines, and so. Now you have a community who may not have reached out for mental health support, but because they had no choice and the mental health was really, really impacted that they were finally open to you know, seeking out therapy, open to their kids seeking out therapy and finally experiencing it for the first time and like, oh, wow, this is actually really helpful you know, I think because also mental health is not tangible. Many people put a lot of, um, you know, high emphasis on, you know, doctors who are physicians, because the things that they treat are tangible, here's a blood result, here's a lab test, here's all of these findings, here's an injury. But mental health is about an injury to our emotions to our well being. And that is a symptom. Usually the symptom that gets us to a hospital is pain. Emotional pain counts. Mental pain counts. It's a symptom. And that's where we got to get around this idea. Like just because I can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist because then how do you explain our Catholic faith? (laughs) Right. You know, it's like, this is your experience. And Nobody else is experiencing it for you or in the same way that you do. So don't we deserve to, you know, have that experience of of, of being healed? Yeah. So to tie into Alian's question, um,
0: would you like for me to um, reread yes. that for you? Yeah, yes. let's,
1: that's the first and, part. I'll answer that. Okay, yeah.
0: sure. And I also wanted to uh, respond to what you just said. And oftentimes what we experience emotionally also contributes to the physical, right? That's so amazing. if we don't um, treat the emotional, it manifests in other ways.
1: Oh my gosh. Can I just say how many of my Philippinex clients their parents got rushed to the hospital during the pandemic for anxiety. You know, they, they feel it first. They feel like they're having a heart attack. The chest pain. Yeah. Because of all the stressors that the Philippine X community specifically experienced, um, right. you know, because there's multi-generational families, a lot of frontline workers, a lot of financial stress, you know, you name it. And yet, psychosomatic pain is the first thing that people will feel and then go get treatment and then they're told you're fine lab wise but obviously there's something wrong and anxiety and sadness is a legitimate concern yeah right so yeah um, yeah so the the question again sorry. Yeah, I, sure,
0: no but... problem. <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah, and I uh see you know, what you just said too. I um I wanted to say, yeah, sometimes um the physical manifestations are the chest pains or the tightness mm-hmm. in the chest. I know mm-hmm. for me, when I feel stress, it affects my digestion. Yes. And um and even when it comes to, you know, eastern medicine, a lot of the major organs that they look at are the kidney or, Mm -hmm. you know, or the liver and how it processes and holds our emotions as well. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you're talking about how the both are correlated because it might be a foreign concept for our community to tap into our emotions, but yet they're so directly related to also our physical wellness.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: So going to Alian's first question. Thank you, Alian, again, for asking this on our social media um, thread. Is it possible to integrate a religious and anti-colonialist identity together?
1: I will answer with it depends. And I know that's such a cop out. But thing is, each person's definition and experience of anti-colonialism is going to be different each person's experience of catholicism or organized religion is going to be different you know and so you know we could say yes it is you know you know the spaniards that brought over catholicism and for me to be anti-colonial you know i need to reject everything that um you know the spaniards brought over but how can you separate? certain aspects of our identity, you're going to get rid of the Barong Tagalog, you're going to get rid of the piña, you're going to get rid of the way that we use machetes. You know, Spanish culture is integrated into our culture, whether we like it or not. And when it comes to faith, that's such a personal thing. Yes, maybe the colonizers brought it over. But what if people embrace it Because it means something to them, because it brings out comfort, it brings them hope, it brings them joy to believe in this. And so I don't know that we have to pick and choose. I don't know that it has to be an either or type of thing. So when I say it depends, people's ideas of anti-colonialism are very different. Like I still embrace a lot of Spanish influences in my culture, but I'll wear my earrings that say decolonize. And I try to be as supportive of indigenous culture as possible. So that's the way I decolonize. But other people might be more forthcoming and, you know, protest and create policy and all of that. And I just don't have the bandwidth to do everything that I do. So that's how I make peace with that. And same thing with, you know, Catholicism. I mean, I was raised Catholic, but I'm also queer. How do I reconcile that? Which I think leads to your second question. But, you know, for me, my Catholic faith has done more for me than hurt me. And so I choose to keep it. It helped me with my father's passing. It helped me find this calling, I believe. You know, I had a bit of a spiritual moment when I was like at odds with finding my career. And I honestly felt in my heart when I was asking, you know, God, hey, you know, if I could just like help one little Filipino girl not go through all the pain I'm experiencing in this life, it would be worth it. And I heard in my heart, that's exactly what I want you to do. So it's led me to this amazing career. So I'm not one to say, oh, but that was spiritual. Oh, that was Catholic. I mean, we humans make up all of these rules. And I just feel like we have to honor what is unique to our experiences, our values, and have it make sense to be congruent and in alignment with who we are, with our authentic self. Um, Can you read the last part of his question?
0: Sure. Uh, Actually, before, if I may, I'd like to also help answer this question. Um, So I I would say, Aliyan, it's also worth looking into liberation theology practices in Latin America, because there have been um, other countries that have had a mix of anti-colonial ideas and also um, merging with religion. So I'm just going to drop that shortly. If you haven't looked into liberation theology, I would have you take a look into that and see where it leads.
1: You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because we also have a concept in our field called liberation psychology. So it's an approach to psychology that achieves um, understanding the psychology of oppressed and impoverished communities. Um, I'm reading the definition by conceptually and practically addressing the oppressive sociopolitical structure in which they exist. So there are concepts out there, there are practitioners out there, there are books to read and ways to inform ourselves so that we can make the best decision we can with the information that we have. So I would really highly recommend if, you know, this is something that you want to explore more, that there is information out there.
0: Yeah, Yeah, thank you. And Oscar Mm -hmm. Romero, the the late Oscar Romero was one of the um, priest that was also assassinated for his belief. So that's um, one person that you could look into, Alian. Mm-hmm. So the second question from Alian were um, What are the ways we can heal forward with religious trauma from the church? And I wanted to add some context to this one, um, Christine. And so I dove deeper to um, ask Alian to elaborate. And um, Alian mentioned religion, especially institutionalized religion, can be weaponized against our cultural identity and indigenous spiritual practices as Filipinos. While in the past, religious figures have been found to be physical and or or emotional abusers, religion can be traumatizing for many queer Philippine ex-individuals. For instance, as a queer film, hearing and internalizing anti-queer messages uh, this can be a form or of religious trauma.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you for um, expanding that. So this is also going to be an individual basis type of question. Um, you know, because not all queer folks have had traumata- traumatizing experiences. I would say a lot have, so I'm not trying to minimize it. And it becomes, you know, an invitation, I guess, to explore, does this have any relevance for me in my life? And if not, then healing can happen without the resolution of whether or not, you know, this, um, this religion needs to, be incorporated into the healing process. Now, if you're wanting accountability and all of that, I can't really speak to that. What I do know is when I work with many of my students and clients who have experienced trauma from the church, that we find ways to heal this without involving the person who's involved in the trauma. And we don't always bring up the past trauma depending on, you know, what stage of healing the client is in. Sometimes it's helpful for people to relive their trauma. Sometimes it's not. And again, it's an it depends question because people experience different levels of trauma. Even though I identify as queer, I still love my religion because fortunately, I was brought up with a lot of loving messages, a lot of supportive messages. I love music and that's where I hear God's message for me. So I tend to filter out um, the negative stuff, which, you know, is so, um, it's so dependent on the way that the priest or the preacher is going to describe it. So again, I've been fortunate to have been raised in parishes that, don't flat out say we love the gays, but, you know, like, who, who emphasize um, an embracing of people. And I really am sorry for the, you know, clients who experience that, but we can heal that with their understanding of who they are, with an emphasis of, do you want a relationship with God? And do you want to define it on your own terms? Because just because Father so and so said that, and that's how he interpreted the Bible to mean, doesn't mean that it's true. There's so many other people that have different interpretations. And so, how can we really say it's absolutely wrong? Even Pope Francis loves us. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like everybody's going to have a different interpretation of this. And this is why. All the cut and dry, black and white, all good or all bad interpretations of things like religion and anti-colonialism and most values are are all on a spectrum. And so I think we can decide how and if we wanna incorporate that in our lives. I could easily say, no, thank you. And I did struggle with it when I first came out because I'm like, "How how do I resolve this? But at the end of the day, there was more loving in my life with it than without it. And more music too, which I love. So that's how I made that choice. But that's unique to me. And the healing is something that can happen in therapy. That does not need to involve the priest or the, you know, Nun teacher. I mean, I have a story about PTSD with the nuns. Can I share it real quick? Yeah. Why please. I don't eat peas and carrots. And many of my friends and loved ones are just like, get over it, Christine. No, this was little tea trauma PTSD. When I was in second grade at my Catholic school, and you know, we were told to eat all of our vegetables because kids were starving in Ethiopia, because that makes a difference. But I got caught trying to throw away my peas and carrots and other gross vegetables that were in that tray because there were no microwaves back then. So it was like half thawed, half hot. (laughs) And so they made me, you know, eat my tray of vegetables in front of the class for the rest of the afternoon, making me an example. And to this day, I will pick it out of empanadas and Chinese fried rice and samosas, which is such a mess. So that's my little trauma. But you know, all the good that's happened in my life for having this faith in God, which I don't, you know, I don't follow strictly I'm one of those cafeteria Catholics. And if that's wrong, okay, but that's what works for me. Um, Cafeteria Catholics being like, you know, like point, point, I'll choose that and that, but not that (laughs) and that. Well, yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that works for me. Other people may judge it don't care. That's not, it's not their life. I feel like that was a really long winded story with peas and carrots to, to answer that question. But at the end of the day, we choose how we move forward. Like whatever happened to us as children, that was not in our control, but what happens to us as adults is now, and therapists can help with that healing.
0: And thank you, Alian, for contributing those questions to our episode to make it more of a fruitful conversation. All right. So, again, um, well, before we approach our break, uh, Christine, I wanted to ask you, do you find common themes within your sessions that you have that are unique to the Filipino-American experience? And if so, what are they?
1: Well, most of my clients are college students, and I really love working with college students because they're young enough to be open to new ideas, but they're old enough where I don't have to involve their parents. So it's just like such a sweet spot <laughs> in therapy. So I would say most of my student, um, most of my Filipinx clients have been, you know, young adults and graduate students um, as well as undergraduate students. So some of the common themes that I've noticed are related to a lack of understanding about Philippinex values. Like I don't understand why I feel like I have to pay my parents back for everything that they've done when I never asked for it, or I don't understand why I'm constantly being compared to my cousins or, you know, I don't understand why people are trying to pull me down when I'm, you know, trying to succeed. And Many times they're not aware of crab mentality. They're not aware of kapwa. They're not aware of utang nalaob, which you know are not necessarily totally bad things in terms of values. Crab mentality is terrible, but um, <laughs> it's more like each of our values, whether it's X or not, is like the force. It's like you got the dark side and the light side, and so there are different aspects to each of these values, and so. Again, like Catholicism, depending on the way you interpret it and the way that you teach it to your children or model it is so unique. And so when I'm working with people and they're like, you know, explaining that, I'm like, oh, that sounds like utang na la'ob. And they're like, what? What is that? And for many of, you know, the second, third generation people, they're not really understanding that what's been passed down to them was a value that originated in a homogenous culture in the Philippines, and is not necessarily applicable um, with this diverse, you know, experience of this country. And not everybody is going to agree on the same ways that values are portrayed or you know practiced in a home. So mm-hmm. I think what's really validating for a lot of my Philippine students is when I give context of like, well, this is what that value is, and this is where it comes from. And it's like so healing on different levels because first they're hearing it from someone who represents their culture and is saying the opposite of the things that they've been hurt by um, with family and friends and extended family and whatever. I mean, I could be anyone's Tita or mother at this point. Um, (laughs) And so it's like, Oh my gosh, you're telling me that I'm not crazy for that, that, that like, No. And if anything, it's actually pretty common in our culture. And their minds are blown. But what that does is gives them permission to consider a new outlook, another way of looking at themselves as not all bad or blaming themselves, which unfortunately does get a sprinkle um, from you know some of the religious messages we've heard. I'm not worthy, I am below. You know, I I, you know, all of those messages. And it's like, well, it's ritual, but I don't necessarily internalize that. That's how I get through that. But you know, who's gonna tell some of these kids who've been raised in that all their lives that they're not, you know, that they're doomed to hell if they do whatever? (laughs) And like, no, I don't think that's how it works. Do you think that's how it works? No. Okay then let's find a way that's more aligned with how you see yourself or how you want to see yourself, because that thought is not working for you. It's contributing to your anxiety. It's contributing to your depression. I don't know that God, you know, if I, if I, if they are religious, then I'll bring it up. Otherwise it won't. Like, do you feel like that that's what God wants for you? Right. Mm. So I have to be very careful because I'm not about um, promoting my own beliefs or versions of Catholicism or Christianity or anything. It's more I listen to what they give me and I pose it back to them. And sometimes just hearing it from a different head, a different voice is all that they need to start really looking at it objectively. Um, other things that I've seen are a lot of identity concerns. So um, because I identify as I do, I get a lot of the QD BIPOC folks, especially uh, Philippinex, who are exploring their identity because college is really the first safe time that they can do that. But they grapple with, you know, my my parents won't see me as my, you know trans identity they won't accept me being you know dot 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 and so we work a lot with that because a lot of that is also influenced um, by Philippinex values and sometimes Catholic values Um, ideas of success and happiness Uh, that's a big one because so many people are in college to pursue Nursing, medical, doctor, engineer, lawyer, those are the big four, because those are the most successful. And that's what will make people happy. Again, a value that's taken from, you know, living in poverty for most people in the Philippines and trying to make it big here. But that's not necessarily what the student wants, nor do they want to be like you know, their parents retirement plan. So how do you like resolve that? And then finally, um, we do talk a lot about religion. And um, the way that that works is sometimes some people feel punished by God for what they're going through, or being told that they're not praying hard enough, as if they did something wrong. And no one's talking about any other alternatives, like, oh, but I noticed that your mother and your grandmother both had depression or anxiety. So couldn't possibly be genetic, <laughs> you know, or the fact that you had a traumatic childhood or the fact that you had a recent loss. It's it's only because you haven't been praying enough. Is that what I'm hearing? And, you know, I use a lot of calling out in a humorous or loving way, but people get it. It's like we have to call out their rationality and black and white nature of some of our thoughts. So um, that's kind of what we do. We look at it together. Does this apply to you? Is this something you created when you were eight and now you're letting the eight-year-old run the show? Is that working for you? And they're like, no. Okay. Well, let's, let's bring it up to speed with who you are today. So those are a lot of the things, a lot of it is religion, a lot of it is identity and just what being happy really means outside of their family's influence, telling them what being happy is.
0: Thank you for just mentioning that and answering the question in that way, Christine. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to also add that a lot of the, the negative messages can also be based on The era, right, that Catholicism was brought to the Philippines. So, if you even place it um, objectively, like in a historical context, it was also the time where the church and state were merged together, Mm -hmm. right? And so, some of the messages that are negative can also be, have been used as a way and a form of political subjugation.
1: Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And
0: so that's one way you know, to look at it is that um, if you're able to subjugate the mind of the people, they're easier to conquer or colonize. Mm. So I just wanted to just drop that insight as I was listening to you mm. talk about it. But I also wanted to address the validation that your um, your patients have may have also felt when you're able to name what they're going through, in regards to placing it in the value of our culture. So concepts yeah. like like you mentioned in your Los Angeles Times article, like utang um, ng loob or um, these values that are crab mentality um, that. Maybe if you're an academic, you get a hold of these um, terms, but if you haven't like been exposed to the research, they you they may be learning them in their sessions uh, yeah. with you. So uh, thank okay. you for just mm-hmm. sharing also how even naming those values can really provide healing to your patient.
1: Yeah. And I want to be clear, I'm not bad mouthing the values. I'm providing different ways of looking at it and how that, how they can, um, you know, incorporate that into their lives. Because of course there are very positive aspects to wanting to honor our elders and wanting to be a community that looks out for one another. It's just when it causes distress, it's not, that version of it isn't working. And so sure. uh, and work with people, let's find the version that works for you. Cause maybe, the version of that value that works for your parents applied to them in their lives and their unique experiences, like mine were fleeing the Marcos regime and they left a month before martial law was declared, you know. Like, right. Yeah, it's going to be a very different interpretation of that value for compared to me who was born and raised here, thankfully.
0: You right, know. And for sure. And and that's mm-hmm. also the significance of cultural competency in therapy, right, mm-hmm. is that when you're able to culturally relate to your therapist, or vice versa, you're, you're, um, you're able to relate to your patients, mm-hmm. you're able to make that much more of a difference in each in their lives. So
1: yeah, it's like we can't be experts on every culture. And I'm not saying that Philippinex folks have to go to a Philippinex therapist, right? Most of the time, it's been nice for my clients who just go, oh, it's not me, or it's not just me.
0: Right. And that
1: can be healing, regardless of, you know, the identity of your therapist. Yeah.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So this concludes the, our first half. Um, we're fortunate to have you, Christine, to talk to our community about mental health. Uh, This is a continual conversation that has extended from our initial Clubhouse sessions with practicing clinicians Erica Tumbaga, Andrea Cabrera-Jacks, and Jason Bueno. Again, as always, this has been a fruitful first half of our segment. Thank you for joining us for season two of Philippine X in Wellness. We're talking with Dr. Christine Katipon, staff psychologist at Stanford University and vice president of the Asian American Psychological Association. Please stay tuned. Feel free to take a quick stretch, refill your water or tea. We'll be right back after this quick break. Welcome back to Philippine X in Wellness. You were just listening to the first part of Tinikling Rhythm by Jinji off of her 2015 EP, Tambol. You can help support Jinji by following her on Instagram at Jinji World, spelled Jin, like G-I-N-G-E-E World. She is a producer, DJ, percussionist, and vocalist from Los Angeles. For bookings, you can email jingieworld at gmail.com. You can also find her music on Bandcamp, Spotify, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Easier access is through her link tree located in her Instagram bio. Shout out to our Philippine ex-musicians out there laying down the track. Returning from our break, we've been talking with Dr. Christine Katipon about spiritual healing and wellness. We talked about cultural stigma towards mental health in our first half. So now Christine, what ideas might you have in working through the stigma to increase access within our community?
1: Well, I personally feel like people want this information. I think there's a lot of myth busting um, that can be had to share what therapy is actually like. And the best you know, thing that's come of this is word of mouth. You know, a lot of my students are like, wow, that's what this is like, had no idea. And then they tell their friends, and then they tell their friends and their friends tell their parents. Um, So it's a matter of, you know, first giving it a try, like, what do you really have to lose? And, you know, not every, um, not every therapist is going to be a good fit for people. I'm not a good for Fit for people who aren't ready to make change, <laughs> you know. So calling people out lovingly, it's like, oh, this isn't for me. I'm not ready. That's okay, you know. I do meet people where they where they are, but um yeah, sometimes it's just people aren't ready or it's not a good fit. So I just encourage people shop around, you know. Get to know the therapist, and if you still don't feel like there's a connection, it's okay to shop around and find somebody else. Um, so in terms of, I'm sorry, blinked. What was the question?
0: <laughs> no worries. It happens. Uh, what ideas might you have in working through the stigma to increase access mm-hmm. within our community? Since we talked about cultural mm-hmm. stigma towards mental health in the first yeah. half.
1: So I, I'm a big believer in outreach, like I mentioned, and I've worked with a lot of community organizations like Sipa in LA, and I'm really looking forward to getting involved up here in the Bay Area. And you know, they have the Magusa Mondays um, for Sipa, which is you know ongoing drop-in chats. They have workshops for elders. They have a lot of things, not just in LA, but also in the Inland Empire. So. You know, I think the fact that we have more mental health um, orgs and clinics opening up is a great way for people to check it out. You're not committing to anything. You might learn something and you might learn something so helpful that it encourages you to check it out. And I do hope to I mean, a big reason why I do these kinds of podcasts and interviews is to show people I'm just, you know, I'm just a person. Yes, there's a doctor in front of my name, but, you know, I was I was a cool kid at Comic-Con and I was, you know, nerd on so many levels that I'll talk about later. Um, we're people, you know, and we are not, you know, not approachable. We try to be as kind. And again, I have that extra motivation to be um you know, very heart centered and very connected, um, because of my spiritual psychology training. So maybe that has been part of it, but I, I'm authentic. This is how I act in therapy too. And I'll make references to Marvel or DC or not really DC, um, or, <laughs> right. you know, Star Wars or, <laughs> things. um, Because that's actually how I relate to a lot of my clients. And that's what I spoke on um, at the panel at San Diego Comic Con. And I had a lot of, you know, the audience members come up to me like, wow, we didn't know therapists could be like that. And like, we're people. And sometimes you get a really good fit with someone who talks nerd, like, you know, (laughs) because that's what I talked about at the Comic Con. But there are so many wonderful, you know, ways to access. I mean, there a lot of my colleagues are on TikTok and doing reels and things like that. And, you know, I I don't have the bandwidth and also on Gen X. And that's not an excuse, but I just don't have the time or energy to learn something new. So the information is out there. And I hope that people will just kind of be curious and like, huh, is that what a therapist looks like? like yeah sometimes sometimes we're dorks but that makes us relatable um but yeah utilize the information that's available in the community it's out there
0: and yay for the dorks and nerds out there they have value we all have value i'm part nerd so there you go
1: it took me a long time to own that word believe me i think i didn't start embracing it until this year because in the '90s and '80s, when I grew up, it wasn't a positive, you know, word. Just like queer, and now I'm embracing both. <laughs> <Yeah.
0: sighs> well, Christine, you know, <laughs> how do I follow that?
1: <laughs> oh, I'll just go to the next question.
0: <laughs> Let's actually go to the LA terms. Times article again, where I first discovered your work and your voice. Now you talked about self care in one of your articles and going back to childhood to find the simple things that made us happy. Mm -hmm. Self care practice adopted by our community in your opinion. And are there culturally relevant activities that resonate and are accessible?
1: Yeah. So For many of my students, self-care is a really foreign concept, especially for people of color. And I think it goes back to, you know, our work ethic and our values of what success and productivity really means. And so when I encourage people to take a break from studying, they look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, no, I have... 18 units, I have five classes, I have to study for three midterms. And there's no way that I can justify taking time out for 30 minutes to do deep breathing or to walk in nature or to, you know, write my poetry, even though it brings me joy. And so I think that requires like an even deeper look into Is there more to you than being a student? What's feeding the poet in you? What's feeding the artist and the creative in you? What's feeding the nature lover in you? So I think when we're drilled with messages, like you have to always study, you can't date until you graduate from college, all of those things that I was raised with. right? But there's a person who needs affection and so therefore snuck out and had secret boyfriends sorry mom um, <laughs> you know but I think it takes a little bit more effort and then people experiencing self-care to know how much it can help them you know so I'll lead a student in a meditation and at the end they're like oh my gosh I feel so relaxed I'm like that's ac- accessible to you and when you can give yourself permission to allow yourself to feed your soul, to feed your, your, your motivation, feed your, you know, liveliness, it's going to trickle into other areas of your life, including your work and your schooling. So, and once we make it a regular practice, just like brushing your teeth or taking a shower or what have you, then there's more balance. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't have to be hard. It can be things like, you know, if you want to make it cultural, I mean, there's so many things. If you want to read books, there are a lot of wonderful Filipino authors that are out there. I think my colleague, De- Dr. Kevin Nadal, um recently made a reel of like all of these great um books written by Philippinex authors. So check that out. If you are the kind of person who wants to do like the Korean masks and everything, I'm like, we have plant medicine too. Big shout out to my spiritual sister, Lynn Pacificar and her herbal area line where she takes, you know, uses calamansi and guava and avocado and all of these wonderful things that are our plant medicine and heal our skin and our body inside. If you want to sing or if you want to play piano or listen to music or relax to like a Rondalia instrumental CD, those things are available too. And even just hiking in nature and connecting with Mother Earth. I mean, the Filipinos were an indigenous people and we worshipped nature long before the colonizers did. And so maybe this is a way of you know, practicing decolonization and, you know, saying, screw it, capitalistic U.S. society. I'm going to not buy into all of this, you know, ridiculousness and I'm going to connect with my elders. I'm going to connect with my nature and my body. I'm not going to buy into that. That's a way of you know, decolonizing as well as being culturally aware. So lots of ideas there. I personally love music. And, you know, you mentioned karaoke um, earlier. I'm sorry. I know it's pronounced karaoke, but I I love saying karaoke. Um, And, you know, I have my gentle therapist voice, but I can screech what's up or, you know, you ought to know. (laughs) Like, because... That's in my blood too. And that's how I practice my culture. So, lots of different ways.
0: And I like to add, like, some of the things that you mentioned as we were preparing for this episode, Christine, mm-hmm. that our community is also very social. So, some of the yeah. things that you mentioned in your bio, like playing mahjong, or even being a foodie are mm. therapeutic uh, ways and also self care practices that we can also acknowledge as being culturally relevant.
1: Yes. Now, I think I mentioned too when we chatted before, like, there's a difference between self care and self indulgence, and I, I'd like to just take a little bit of time to differentiate between the both. So. Self-indulgence is fine. It's like once in a while, we love it. We, you know, we enjoy it. You know, that would be like binge watching a show on Netflix or scrolling through TikTok or um, eating delicious food, which is like one of my go-to comfort strategies. But self-indulgence only lasts in enjoy for as long as you're engaging in it. And once you're done, it's done. So it's really like pure enjoyment in the moment. But when I talk about self-care, it's going to have effects that last longer than the actual activity. So when I take a hike in nature, I feel so much better, even though I i, I, could, I could learn to love exercise a little more. But when I actually do go for a hike, I feel amazing for the rest of the day because I was in nature and I used my body you know if I do a guided meditation, the effects of that last much longer than you know, just the actual meditation itself. So I think self-care is about whatever brings you joy. I can spend three hours at the piano and singing like my idol Nita Peoples from Fame. <laughs> That's how I learned how to play piano and accompany myself. I was like, Oh my gosh, there's a Filipino doing that. I want to do that. Representation and visibility matters, right? So Yeah. And so when I do that, oh, the endorphins for me after playing three hours and singing is just like incredible. So people can get creative with finding what brings them joy and that will be true self-care.
0: All right. This last question was uh, one that I really wanted to ask you before we close. It's about boundaries. Mm -hmm. And Well, as I talk about boundaries, setting and maintaining healthy boundaries is also seen as a form of self-care. So a continuation from our last question, what guidance do you have for someone within our community to establish and maintain healthy boundaries, even when it comes to toxic behaviors or patterns within our own families? Because as we know, a lot of our behaviors and patterns start with our nuclear families or our family or Mm -hmm. even our extended families. And so I'm curious to know, know <laughs> what guidance do you have for someone to establish and maintain healthy boundaries when it comes yeah. to toxic behavior.
1: It's such a good question, and I myself, as a psychologist, struggle with this too. My dad had eight siblings. My mom had, or there was eight in their family. And my mom had seven in their family, and then never mind all of my grandparents' siblings. I mean. It's ridiculous how large some of these families can get and all of them come with their own unique personalities and experiences. So um, I think it's going to be different for each person. I know it's, I don't mean it to be a cop-out, but there's no cookie cutter way to address, you know, this because each person is going to have a different experience of their family and, a different way that they've been raised to interpret these experiences or internalize and personalize them. So for example, when I was growing up, I was, you know, I was really bullied, you know, for my weight, because I wasn't skinny, like my cousins. And even though I was like the smartest, and I was like, always trying to be as smart as possible and do everything and be the good girl and play the piano and sing for the relatives and do all of this stuff. But I was never accepted because I was fat. I was told by my aunt not to eat anything at Thanksgiving when I was 11 because I was having a problem. So how do you manage those things, right? For me, I, what's that word I'm looking for? I um, I transformed it. I was like, okay, all of this is feeding my ability to empathize with my clients Somebody's telling me about eating disorders. Somebody's telling me about toxic family members. Someone's telling me about bullying. Not that I share what I, I've gone through, although I just did. Um, but it's more of they can tell that I'm a wounded healer. They can tell that I have empathy for them. And as an adult, I've realized there are some relatives I'm just never going to like. And I'm okay with that because our values are different, our experiences are different, and I don't need them in my life, nor do they add anything to my life. So I'm okay with, you know, but I'm also old and independent and not dependent on family members for anything. So I recognize my privilege there. My students do not have that privilege. They may be, you know, dependent on family members for schooling and, you know, housing and everything until they are financially independent. So they can't come out or they can't, you know, talk back because that would risk their safety or that would risk their future. And so my advice to many of my clients is pick your battles, you know, realize where you can maybe have a helpful conversation. If somebody seems reasonable, or seems open to a conversation. Okay. But the ones who are not open to having a conversation, the ones who are determined to pretend that they're right at all costs, there's no point really in wasting energy trying to convince somebody because they'd rather be right than maintain a loving relationship with you. And so those people have also been cut out of my life. And it's sad, but it's for my mental health and well-being. I can't be present for my clients if I'm constantly worrying about what other people think of me. What's that quote by Eleanor Roosevelt? What you think of me is none of my business. They had their own experiences, cultural values, whatever, to make them not like me. And vice versa. I don't like them, even though we're in the same family. <laughs> and that could be really hard for a lot of people to believe like, oh, but family is, you know, everything. I'm like, well, family also abused you. Family also, you know, engaged in substance abuse. Family also molested you. So. Yeah. It's and your yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: sometimes we also get the message, the response is, well, you know, this is your only family member, like mm-hmm. your only father, your only mother, or, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to be here that much longer. And then that oh, the guilt. guilt comes that in.
1: Oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is another value that's just like, oh, my gosh. Research has shown people that guilting and shaming does not encourage or motivate. So you take one thing out of this please stop doing this to your children it doesn't do anything but make them distant from you but yes the shame <laughs> so okay that may be true and so we have to pick our battles and figure out like what's the limit you know for some people in my family I will have the cordial hello and I did my duty right. like because here's the other thing have they reached out to me why is it that if I'm the younger one, I'm expected to be the bigger person? Right. So there's just a lot of things here. Like what is a, with all of these made up rules of how we should be around family? It's unfortunate. I wish I was closer to some family members and others. I'm like, I couldn't care less, but it's the reality of, you know, what we go through and sometimes we have to do things to maintain our mental health because again you know they may not know how it affects me but i do and how do i want to live my life
0: yeah exactly yeah i mean some of our family members go ahead sorry
1: no i was just gonna say and that's where chosen family comes in I do have a lot of family members that I love and I will gravitate toward them. And guess what? I moved up here to be with them closer. And, you know, I choose the family members that I know love me unconditionally and support me. And, you know, because the other ones haven't reached out, the other ones don't support, they just tear down like that good old crab mentality. So again, Like, what am I willing to pick my battles with, you know? And then you have chosen family as well. Like, okay. Friends who are family have plenty of those. And that is slowly outweighing all of the negative experiences and toxic relationships that I've had with my family. And I do think it makes me sublimate. That's the word I was looking for. That's what makes me sublimate my painful experiences into a persona that wants to see the goodness in the person that wants to see their heart that wants to see them heal this stuff that I get. They may not know it, but I get it. And that comes across when I work with somebody. So it made all of that pain worthwhile. Like when I had my epiphany and I've gotten to, Help more than one little Filipina girl.
0: It makes me want to know what therapy with you is like personally. <laughs> I wish I could be a client. Oh, I know your. I know so you're fine. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Some of my clients, my my um, my uh, private clients, have declared me their therapist for life, and they will hunt me to the Take end a of compliment. the earth. Compliment. So that is wonderful. And it's for that reason, I'm absolutely full. Um, But it's a nice problem to have, yeah.
0: For sure. I mean, (laughs) not everybody can say they have that type of a problem, right? Well, we have one more community question actually, Christine, Mm -hmm. that I'm gonna try to slide in before our episode ends. It's from Omar, who's from Los Angeles. And Omar asks, uh, I find, and you probably touched up on some of this already, but I find that most of my elders come from a forgive and forget mentality without the open door of exploring or healing the wounds. Are there healthy ways to combat specifically old patriarchal narcissism in the Filipino household? Yeah.
1: I mean, it could be patriarchal narcissism. And it could also be ignorance or naivete. You know, I think it's so easy to label a lot of things from this woke place that many of us are coming from, but the truth is our elders did the best that they could with what they had. They didn't have language for this. They didn't have modeling of this. They tried their best to at least hopefully decrease the intergenerational trauma that goes through all of our um, generations, right? So this forgive and forget thing, another um, Filipino Catholic, is it Catholic? Is it Filipino? (laughs) To me, it's avoidance. I think the number one coping strategy for anxiety is avoidance. And, you know, many people are not open to having discussions because it will possibly reveal them as wrong or they made a mistake. And Filipinos are very proud, very proud in a lot of ways. And I think people would rather just avoid it or ignore it rather than take ownership of the fact that they might have hurt someone inadvertently or on purpose and that they weren't in the right about that. So, you know, similar to my other answer, got to pick and choose your battles. You will have received enough feedback to know by now whether they are open to a conversation or not. And if they are open to a conversation, I really encourage people to use eye language. I describe it like Mad Libs. It's two parts, how you feel and what you want. So the first part of how you feel is I feel blank when Blank happens and you want to use I, we, or us. Because whenever we use you, it comes off as defensive, assuming making the other person wrong. But this way we're focusing on the behavior. So I feel sad when my weight is talked about in front of the whole family at the party. And then ask for what you want. So next time I'd really appreciate it if my weight was not, you know, a a joke or a topic of discussion with the family. Now, feedback. If they say, "Ha, I'm going to keep doing it," guess what? Probably not open a conversation. But if they hear this from an open place instead of a defensive place because of the way it was um, shared, oh, maybe we can have a conversation about this. So, I like using this assertive, you know, language technique to gauge whether or not it's worth trying to have that conversation or to protect your energy and look for healing and support in other spaces. And, you know, you can still maintain your relationship with your parents or extended family in other ways, like shared love of food or whatever. But when it comes to your heart, there are probably other places, better places to look for that.
0: And thank you, Omar, (laughs) <laughs> yes. I'm sure Omar will be thankful. And thank you, Omar, for that question. Yeah. Okay. Transitioning to the end. Oh. Um, for members of our community that are looking to book therapy sessions with you, because maybe now after this episode, everyone wants you to be their therapist. <laughs> or if they want to watch an interview of yours or see you speak on a paddle panel. Are there any upcoming events that you want to plug, interviews, or panels that you can share with us?
1: Sure. Well, I do have a link tree in my Instagram bio, and that handle is dr. uh one word. I just finished my um, last interview with the LA Times, um, and it's going to be about Catholicism and help seeking behavior. So it's so interesting that I've done Two talks on this topic, but I think this interview is going to be so much more expansive, right? Cause uh, the other one is a written piece. Um, and I've done uh, quite a few interviews for October. I've done one for the addicted mind. I've done one for call to mind, which is a radio show. Um, I'm doing this one. So there will be a lot added to the link tree um, when they are finished. And yeah, I'm just I'm just really excited to support the community. You know, it's like yes, I can consult for the big companies or whatever, but I really love you know supporting the Filipinx community, and um, I just feel like it's it's my way of giving back um, because Catholicism and spirituality and Filipino culture are have all contributed to what's brought me here. So I'm um, I'm operating from a place of gratitude and humbleness, humility, and just, you know, thankful for the opportunity you gave me here to share my perspective. Yeah, thank you.
0: You're welcome. Um, it's just curious to know if, as members are listening, or as our audience is listening, if you're If they're seeking also other Philippinex therapies or clinicians, is there a database that you can point them to, um, maybe where they can (laughs) find, um, you know, therapists that are
1: accepting new clients? Mm -hmm. So, you know, as, as the vice president of the Asian American Psychological Association, I'm excited to announce that we just launched our directory of providers, um, and so these are folks that are affiliated with AAPA and many of them identify as Philippinex. Um, we do also have a couple of networks um, that uh, for Philippine, o, uh, Philippine OXA, mental health professionals on Facebook. And so sometimes um, if we hear about somebody who's looking for a therapist, we'll put that out there. We also have a listserv. Um, So if you wanted to, you can reach out um, to me at my vice president email, which is vp at aapaonline.org. And I can connect you to some providers or directories, or if you are looking for a Philippinex um, therapist around the country and not just here in the Bay. um, I can put it out on our listservs and, and look out for you and send you information if if we have people who can help you. Yeah.
0: And then also, um, would your email be your um, AAPI email also be similar for providers that are looking to join the network?
1: Uh, Yes, absolutely. VP at AAPA online.org. You do not need to be an AAPA member to be a part of our directory, but it's such a great community and I would highly recommend it it's become my family you know I'll, I'll share a quick story of how I stumbled upon it because I didn't join it until three years into my licensure and it was only because Kevin Adal and EJ David were starting the division on Philippinex Americans and I hadn't really come across any so I was like I'm gonna meet two. all right you know now I'm not alone and uh, yeah, now we have like hundreds of members. <laughs> and um, especially if you are a practitioner, the division on Philippinex Americans has been my family, my professional family, my personal family. For It's just such a wonderful way to feel connected in this difficult work that we do. So I hope you'll check it out. Okay.
0: Before we close, uh, Mm -hmm. second to last question. And you mentioned actually some of this already, Christine. So I wanted to see if you wanted to add. Um, Mm -hmm. We always like to ask our guests, what are your own wellness practices? And what do you personally do for self-care that may be inspirational for our listeners? I mean, you mentioned Mahjong. You mentioned um, following Marvel movies and singing. Mm -hmm listening to redalia music is there anything else that you'd like to add
1: I really honestly get my biggest self-care from singing and playing piano to accompany myself with religious no not religious spiritual music I mean they're they're Christian but it's all about love and God and connection and it's been really healing to me with the grief that i've experienced over the last 3 years um and i just you know music they say is like praying twice and so when i do sing from the bottom of my heart it's the most uplifting thing that i can imagine um but you know i i self indulge i will binge netflix i will watch all the nerd things i mean really excited about she hulk right now um <laughs> You know, I do love food. I love playing with my dog. I love hanging out with my partner and my friends. I mean, I watch cartoons. That's a big one because I don't watch reality TV. I spend my whole day in reality. And so anytime I can engage in things that are not the reality that I have all day long, I love it. So some of my favorite cartoons are The Owl House, Steven Universe, Adventure Time. That's why my dog's named Jake. Um, <laughs> you know, things like that. Uh, Centaur World. That was great. Um, yeah. So, yes, I'm almost 50, but I am a big kid at heart. And I'm a wounded healer. And I'm, you know, pineye activist and... I'm just really grateful for all the opportunities I've had to be my authentic self. Yeah.
0: So our question as we close,
1: Mm -hmm. our
0: last and final question, you mentioned your link tree, you mentioned your AAPA email. How else can listeners find you if they have additional questions?
1: Yeah. The best thing to probably Because I'm not taking new clients and I don't have a website. So I'm one of those that maybe one day when I have bandwidth, I'll have that. Um, I would say probably the best thing would be to message me through uh, my Instagram account. I do not give clinical advice, by the way, on my Instagram account. It's It's merely for informational purposes. But if you're wanting to get connected with, you know, a provider in our networks, um, you can do that. Or you can also reach me at my um, VP email. But I won't, you know, that's a temporary one because I'm not going to be VP forever. (laughs) So um, probably the Instagram message function will be the best way to reach me.
0: Okay, and if you can drop your handle once again for our listeners. Yeah.
1: Dr. Christine Katipon, one word.
0: All right. That's
1: for my link tree as well as my public Instagram.
0: Perfect. Thank you, Christine, for talking to our community about spiritual healing and wellness. We're so honored to have featured you on our podcast for Filipino American History Month. We're excited to witness how your journey continues to unfold and are here to support you as your Philippine Exxon Wellness family.
1: Thank you so much. I've had a great time.
0: Oh, I have too. (laughs) (laughs) And to our listeners, look out for our next episode. We will be featuring Trisha Perez, doula, healer, guide, and coach for our episode titled Transitions, Death and Rebirth, right in Time for Dia de los Muertos and All Souls Day. This episode will be aired on our Wellness Wednesdays on November 16. As we close, we'd like to say thank you once again to our guest speaker, Dr. Christine Katipon, our social media strategist, Kathleen Torrio, our designer, Richie, Jinji for consent to use your track, the nickling rhythm that you heard during our break, our advisors, Alcin de la Cruz, Rian de los Reyes, and Safo Teologo, our community partners is Filipino American Life, SoCal Filipinos, and Trek Table, and really all of our community members for your shares and support. As always, we'll share more about our guest speakers' offerings on our Instagram stories and highlights for permanent access with any of their upcoming events. Be sure to follow us at Philippine X in Wellness on Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, and on Twitter at Philippine X. The letter N, well followed by the letters N and F. Don't forget to continue to hit the subscribe button on our Philippine X in Wellness YouTube channel. Thank you always for believing in us. Be well, everyone. Continue to take care of yourselves and each other. Taghang salamat.
1: Haraming salama. Thank you.